Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our podcast series on legal issues in the post-COVID world. My name is Gil Porter, a partner at Haynes & Boone and chair of our COVID-19 task force. Today is July 30, very nearly into the dog days of August, but we're all sitting comfortable in our cool, air-conditioned, and remote offices and ready to talk about the use of rep and warranty insurance in the post-COVID world. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Brent Beckert, who's part of our M&A practice group. He's based in our Dallas office, and many of you will recognize him as a regular contributor to our COVID-19 programs. David Tabenfeld is also joining us. He's a partner in Dallas in our insurance recovery group. For over 30 years, representing policyholders in insurance matters. And in particular, David has negotiated over 60 rep and warranty policies and has litigated a variety of claims under some of those policies. We're also joined, as always, by Nathan Koppel, our head of media relations, who will continue his role as moderator for this series. And I'll turn it over to Nathan in a moment, but first, our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. Moreover, by their very nature, the topics we discuss in these podcasts will be fast-moving and subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. That's it. I'll speak to you at the end, but let me turn over to Nathan now. Gil, thanks. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to start off, uh, as I often do, with a plug uh, to note that Brent and David participated in a fantastic webcast, which is available on Haynes and Boone's uh, COVID-19 resource page at HaynesBoone.com, which covers uh, today's topic in, in great detail and has lots of useful slides. So please refer to that uh, as well as today's podcast. Uh, Brent, I'm going to start with you and ask you if you could, please give us a, a, an overview of the reps and warranties insurance landscape. Sure. So uh, thanks for having me, Nathan and Gil. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you both and with David. Um, so just Briefly, a quick overview for those who are unfamiliar. Uh, representation and warranty insurance, or as we call it, R&W insurance or rep and warranty insurance is a uh, relatively, uh, I would say, new in frequency. It's been around for a while, but it's, it's really picked up in the last five to six years. Uh, tool that uh, M&A practitioners use uh, to get deals done. And so uh, by that, I mean, you know, typically in a traditional deal, a buyer uh, we'll ask a seller to make a bunch of representations about their business. You know, did you operate in compliance with laws? Did you, uh, you know, honor all of your employee benefit obligations, whatever it is. And a seller would have to backstop that either by, uh, putting, you know, 10, 15% of their purchase price in an escrow for a year or two, or, uh, through a, you know, an indemnity or a clawback such that they could be on the hook long after they've forgotten about the deal. And so what rep and warranty insurance does is a few things, but, uh, you know, most importantly is, is it shifts this risk to a third party, to the insurance underwriter. Uh, and it also alleviates the need uh, for a, an, an escrow or hold back or uh, in, in some cases, a lot of the indemnities that um, can, can give sellers a lot of pause. And so it really is a deal facilitator because if, if done correctly, uh, buyers would get, you know, more coverage and more protection than they may otherwise be able to get from a seller. And the seller can sleep at night with his, uh, 
hard-earned purchase price without having to worry about being sued. And so it's it's not uh, it's not that way in every deal, but but that's the goal. And 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 a lot of deals, uh, certainly in the seller's market, like we're just coming out of, uh, it's uh, it's been a reality for a lot of sellers. Thanks, Brent. And before we get back uh, back to the topic of R and W insurance and, and get into to some of the particulars, I, I love your overview of the deal landscape in the wake of COVID nineteen. What what impact has it had on on deal volume and, and deal size? Sure. Well, I think it's safe to say that uh, we're certainly in the middle of COVID. And I think it's anybody's guess whether we're in the first quarter or third quarter or uh, whatever, but, but there's no question that there was an immediate slowdown. Um, you know, from my perspective uh, in March, you know, right at the outset when the uncertainty was probably at its peak March and, and, and early April, you know, every deal that I was working on and that most of my colleagues were working on pretty much uh, ground to a halt. And so I, I think, you know, I would say 75, 80% of, of both deals that we've seen, but also just generally, you know, we're not necessarily terminated for good, but a lot of times, you know, buyers would just say, I'm going to press the pause button and see where this ends up. And so there was an immediate slowdown. And I think in the last two months or so, we, we've seen some pickup, but, uh, you know, it, there's certainly a question out there of, uh, if there is a second wave and if we even get out of the first wave, uh, are we going to go right back down to a, uh, you know, a, a, a stop, uh, a full stop on, on deal flow. And, and, you know, in the first half, I saw a stat from Bloomberg yesterday uh, that deal flow in the first half of 2020 was down uh, almost uh, 70%, which is, if you think about it on a national level is, is kind of astounding. And so, uh, like I said, I think a lot of those deals will probably still get done in the second half of the year, but uh, there there are some, and certainly in different sectors, oil and gas being being one that comes to mind that you know may just not get done at all. Certainly not for the valuations that the sellers were initially expecting. In, in the areas where you've seen a rebound, has it been particularly pronounced in smaller to mid market deals? That certainly seems to be the case. Um, you know, there's, there's exceptions to every rule, but I think uh, the, the lower and middle market will certainly be the first to rebound and, uh, you know, probably has much to do with anything with, with the sector that the, the company's in. And so uh, healthcare and IT and, uh, you know, those types of kind of COVID friendly industries will certainly do well. And then uh, other industries that may be looked at as, as safer and, and maybe not as dependent on uh, in-person uh, work environments are also doing fine. And so uh, certain construction uh, companies we've seen have picked up certainly anything to do with, with your backyard, home landscaping and pools and uh Anything like that we've seen just go through the roof. And so almost more so than the size, I would say the industries, there's certainly been winners and losers. And uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of that to come in in the following uh, months, Uh, more separation there. And and you alluded, Brent, to the possibility of a second wave, which, of course, makes all of us nervous. But um, with that in mind, what do you project for the next six, nine, 12 months of, of deal flow? Is it, is it possible to project reliably? Uh, I think uh, it is a very difficult thing <laughs> 
to guess. Uh, you know, I think this year um, at, at this current rate, you know, assuming there are no, uh, you know, state or, or national shutdowns altogether, you know, I think I think we'll be on a steady pace to, to, to keep getting deals done at that healthy valuations. But uh, the longer this this goes on without a vaccine, I, I do think that we will see another dip uh, and hopefully nowhere near as, as severe as it was in, in uh, March and April. But, uh, you know, certainly if there's not a vaccine by early next year, um, I, I think we could be running into some troubled waters. David, in, in this sort of landscape that Brent describes, I'm uh, curious whether R and W insurance is, is a particularly valuable tool to, to helping deals get done, uh, given all the uncertainty right now. Well, I think it is. Uh, I, I, frankly, I think it was already a valuable tool even even before COVID uh, for a, a variety of, of reasons, uh, both for buyers and sellers. Uh, but one of some of those reasons that are enhanced now in this particular uh, era where there's many a distressed company uh, as a result of, of uh, COVID factors. And, and uh, there's also uh, some money to invest that's out there that's, that's, that hadn't been invested over the last few months. Uh, and so what, what a rep and warranty policy uh, will do is uh, force less reliance on escrows that distressed companies can't pay and on indemnities that uh, distressed companies may not be able to make and or keep. So my sense is that the rep and warranty policies uh, will be the, a great tool to bridge the risk gap uh, and the gap, the risk gap may be greater uh, for, for those reasons and, and others, but it may be harder to, de- to depend on uh, the, the sellers or to count on the sellers in the future if the sellers are, are, are distressed. Are, are insurers ducking for cover or is, is the, are these products still readily available in the market? So uh, seven or eight years ago, there was four providers before COVID there's 22 or 23 providers. And right now there are still 22 or 23 providers. Uh, it's a, it's a close group of folks that, that work at the providers and that are the brokers that deal with these companies and that are the lawyers that deal, uh, with those policies and, and that group of people, uh, all gets together. So the brokers and the lawyers that deal with the policies know the guys who are actually and women that are making the decisions, uh, to, to issue the policy. And those people have just decided they're going to weather the storm that rep and warranty is, is here, uh, now and, and for the future uh so they they the answer is they're all still here that they're they've done they've issued fewer policies over the last two or three months but let me just say from a practical point of view i agree with um what brent said a a few minutes ago my sense is uh the deals are picking up because i get involved in deals uh at the rep and uh, warranty policy side and and i've had several of those in the last month or two and uh and that's more than there were three or four months ago Nathan, if I can just piggyback off quickly, one, one thing that uh, that David said, there, there's this idea of a risk gap, right? Certainly in distressed companies uh, about, you know, the a seller not wanting to take on that risk. There's also uh, a growing valuation gap in that, you know, a buyer uh, is looking at 
financials for the last, you know, take six months. And, uh, it, there, there, there's an outsized impact of COVID on those, and the seller thinks, well, that was a one-time issue, and my my business is, you know, really, you know, three, four million more valuable or whatever it is, and, and the buyer really doesn't know uh, how to look at that, and so a lot of times what we'll see is instead of paying 100% in cash, uh, buyers are offering more and more earnouts, more and more promissory notes, um, maybe they'll roll over equity, but. All of those add up to less cash uh, for a seller at closing. And so in that context, uh, if, a, if a rep and warranty policy, you know, basically eliminates the need for a 10% escrow for two years uh, and allows you to take, you know, what, what is essentially, you know, millions and millions of dollars more uh, risk-free and in, in, in your pocket at closing, that, that's a huge uh, deal for a seller. And it's a lot of times the differentiating factor if, if a seller's running an auction process, you know, between a bunch of buyers that otherwise may be, may be pretty similar. So there, there's a risk uh, element to it, but there's also a financial component to rep and warranty insurance that makes a huge difference on these processes. Thanks, Brent. I'm, I'm just curious, it, does it, is it helpful to buyers and sellers to have a third party performing due diligence uh, on these deals? It, it certainly keeps everybody honest and, and keeps everybody, uh, you know, the, the, having somebody looking over your shoulder as the buyer, certainly. Uh, and, and it also shifts some of the tougher questions over to an insurer. Uh, that certainly helps. Uh, and then also shifting the risk to a third party, you know, also has has a benefit to the relationship because in, in most of the deals that we see, certainly those with, with private equity companies that are buyers and who, who are expecting the sellers to stay on and run the business, you know, n- nobody wants to sue uh, their CEO or their VP uh, over an indemnity claim when they really need them to run the business after closing. And so uh, from a relationship perspective, taking them out of the, uh, out of the dispute and going up and against an insurance company uh, just makes makes life a lot easier. I mean, we, we had more often than not when we represented, you know, private equity buyers, uh, it would have to be a really big claim for them to want to go sue their own CEO, their own rollover seller. And so most of the time they just, you know, basically ate, ate the risk and, and dealt with the costs. And so uh, that that's a huge value add that having a third party insurance uh, underwriter comes and and provides. Thanks, Brent. Uh, David, I want to ask you about COVID-19 exclusions. I've I've seen and read that it's become such a prominent part of the insurance landscape. Do R&W policies typically have exclusions for COVID-19 losses? Yes. So, uh, but yes, but rep and warranty policies are actually not part of the typical insurance landscape. Uh, you're right. Insurance policies and coverage for COVID uh, definitely has dominated, dominated headlines, at least in my world. Uh, there, there is going to be an exclusion, uh, a COVID exclusion in the rep and warranty policy, but there's a wide variety of wordings of those exclusions. And there are some that are preferable than others generally, and some that are more preferable than others, uh, in any particular instance. And these policies, there's so much competition uh, on the insurer side for these policies that all provisions in the policies are negotiable. Uh, 
Uh, and so you will have a, a COVID exclusion in the rep and warranty policy, but uh, it's probable that with the right negotiation, you can narrow that exclusion down uh, to where it has the least effect on your coverage. And is that something you would be typically called on to do, David, to negotiate those terms? It, uh, yes, I, I would do that uh, along with uh, whoever the broker is. But that, that is that is what I do, uh, not just with the COVID exclusions, but with uh, with other exclusions. If you're on the buyer side and with other parts of the property of the uh, policy, if you're on the, the seller side, um, as I said, just uh, if I have a couple of minutes, these these everyone in this industry knows the rest of the folks in this industry, including like I, as one of the lawyers that deals in these policies, I know the folks that actually make the decisions on the insurance company side. So even though AIG and Chubb, big, huge insurance companies are involved in this market, it's not like buying a general liability or some other general main basic business policy from them where there's just a big building that issues policies. I deal with real people and the real people are competitive against other real people at other firms, big and small. And so, uh, so for instance, the night before we close the deal, we're talking to the the guy at AIG that's making the decisions at his house at eight o'clock at night. We can hear his kids in the background as we negotiate the final terms of a policy for a closing the next day. Brent, uh, and I were working on a policy where we needed to get one particular exclusion off the policy uh, and we needed to do it urgently. So we got on the phone with the broker and told the broker, uh, both he, both the broker and I know the guy at the insurance uh, company that was making the decisions. And I told him we really needed this one uh, off for this reason. And five minutes later, he called me back and said it's off. The point is, these are very negotiable uh, policies. And with the right folks uh, negotiating them there, uh, you can generally get what you need. Brent, Brent David uh, talked about some late night negotiations over these sorts of terms. Uh, is there a way to kind of front load the discussion over policy terms or did it, does it typically come up late in a, in the, in, in negotiating a deal? Uh, what's most important, what's most important about uh, that issue for the deal folks and for, uh, for me on my side is that, you know, as much as you can very early on in the process, uh, at, at least about uh, what exclusions will be uh, in in the coverage. The last thing anyone wants is to have a late breaking exclusion right before closing. Uh, and, and, and generally speaking, the, 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 insurers have gotten much better at shaping those policies and figuring out uh, through their own diligence very early on what exclusions they're going to need in there so that there aren't surprises. But there are still items to negotiate, what what sort of uh, arbitration or mediation provisions and various other aspects of the policy uh, that, you, that you may be negotiating until right before the deal is done. Thanks for that, David. And I'm going to uh, put this to you or Brent, whoever wants to take it. Uh, I know a lot of companies have, have taken PPP loans, and I'm curious to what extent those loans create some future risk and contingencies that might be covered by reps and warranties policies. So uh, they're probably not going to be covered by rep and warranty policies, but that's not the end of the day. That's what's great about uh, this area. This is really... Uh, a set of 
uh, insurance vehicles that handle contingent risks. Rep and warranty is the most popular of those, but there are specific tax policies that you can buy if there's a tax decision that's looming out there that you think may be may go the wrong way. There is litigation uh, cap. Uh, policies if there's a legacy of litigation that may hinder a transaction. So with PPP uh, loans, uh, you, you know you you have to have 500 employees or less. There's there's a variety of criteria that goes into your the ability to obtain a PPP loan, and so there may be some questions. Um, after a transaction or in contemplating a transaction about whether an entity with a PPP loan was entitled to get it. Uh, you can't, there is a vehicle now. There's a, there's an insurance vehicle that's a specific uh, PPP loan insurance uh, that's out there to hedge that risk. So if you think there's a risk that someone may challenge whether or not the, the loan was uh, a proper loan. There is actually uh, an insurance vehicle out there. Uh, it's it's obvious. It's obviously in its sort of formative stages now. So there hadn't been claims under it yet. But you can you can get one if you need one in the right circumstance. Yeah, and, and practically speaking, I'll just say that we have not seen this uh, a lot in practice. I, I, I think that uh, rep and warranty insurance, for example, is. You know, any any deal, say over seventeen million uh, of enterprise value, is probably a good candidate for rep and warranty insurance. On the PPP insurance, it's it's a much narrower subset uh, of folks who who this may be a good fit for. And by that, I mean you know what what it won't insure is is did you spend the money right? Did you uh, calculate payroll correctly? All of those things that have tripped up companies in the last you know month or two uh it's really intended uh to, to cover two things one uh were you eligible and so it, to the extent there are any ambiguities about you know whether you, a company was an affiliate in the case of you know venture capital backed companies this was a big issue but counting your employees you know together with the the employees of your affiliates to see if you had more than 500 it'll cover that and it'll cover this you know did you need the money what we call the necessity certification but uh, given that the SBA has said that if you're under two million, we're not even going to look at your necessity certification we'll deem you've made it, it it's really, you know, big loans over two million. Uh, that that a lot of folks are, are looking at this insurance, but otherwise, unless you are are really confused about how many employees you have, or you think you really towed the line, uh, we haven't seen a lot of a lot of takers for that. And it's you know, it's a, it could be a two three hundred thousand dollar policy or more. So uh, as far as premiums go, so it, it's. Uh, there has to be a real a real need for for it to make sense for a lot of companies. Uh, thanks, Brad. I feel like we're coming full circle here and back in the early days of the podcast when you were walking us through the ins and outs of PPP loans. So I appreciate that. Um, well, it's a really exciting and dynamic coverage market. Uh, David and Brent, thank you for explaining where it stands right now amid the COVID nineteen pandemic. And with that, Gil, I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brent and David, for that discussion. And of course, Nathan, for moderating, as always, so expertly. And thank you to our listeners for joining our COVID-19 podcast series. Uh, 
We're going to take a summer break during the month of August, and we'll be returning after Labor Day. But we don't want you to feel lonely without us, so please remember that we have all our podcasts and webinars and a wealth of written materials available on our website at hanesboon.com. That's H-A-Y-N-E-S-B-O-O-N-E.com. We are busy planning our fall schedule, so please feel free to reach out to me or to Nathan Koppel if you have any suggestions for further topics for our podcasts or our webinars. Take care all and have a great and safe month of August. 